Uh, now, if you've been with us over the past couple weeks or months, uh, you know, we've been going through the book of Exodus. Uh, we went through all ten of the plagues last week. We learned about the uh, crossing of the Red Sea, and that was really, really powerful. It's been, uh, it's been a joy uh, to go through Exodus in the front half. Uh, but rather than kind of power through the rest of the book, we actually feel like uh, this is a great place to kind of pause, uh, do uh, an intermediate in-between series for the rest of the year, and then in the beginning of next year, we will resume our Exodus series. Um, Here in the Fruit of the Spirit, uh, we're going to be digging deep into Galatians 5. Galatians 5, and I've been thinking about it for a really, really long time. I believe it's something that I need for my life. Uh, I think it's something that uh, every single one of us needs to consider, to really think about um, how God has called us to live. What kind of people does he want us to become? And how will he accomplish this in our lives? How will we actually become more like Jesus? How will we be able to reflect the goodness, the kindness, the mercy of God to one another and to our neighbors? And that's, that's what this series is all about. And so uh, today's message is actually a primer. Uh, we're going to intro uh, the fruit of the Spirit. We're not going to actually go through uh, those uh, specific particular fruits. But uh, yeah, it's the introductory message. If you have your Bibles, uh, would you please turn with me to our passage, Galatians chapter 5. Verses 16 to 26. Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26. Uh, The words are going to go up on the screen, and I'll be reading from the ESV. May God bless the reading of his holy and matchless word. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, Envying one another. Amen. The word of the Lord. The title of today's message is Walking in the Spirit. And as we work our way through the text, we're going to consider three things. Three things for us to consider today. And it's the journey, the fight, and then the fruit. The journey, the fight, and the fruit of the Christian life. I'll unpack those as we go, and that's the overall structure of the message. Now, um, have you ever said something just clearly and plainly to someone that was then botched and misunderstood? Just completely misunderstood. I mean, you said it clear as day. You did not stutter. It was very simple. And then they go and just do the exact opposite, and you're like... Am I speaking Greek here or something? It's weird. Maybe you told your kids as a parent to do something very clear, like go clean your room, right? 
help your brother or sister with their homework, and they totally didn't get it. Right? They're playing video games, just as if you never spoke to them in the first place. Or maybe you're just making plans with your friends, and you're texting, and you're saying, let's meet here at this time, and then wires get crossed for some reason, and the plans get botched. Right? Um, I, I don't reference movies very often, and this is going to date me, but um, there's a great scene in the movie Zoolander. Right. I don't know if you guys expected that, Zoolander, uh, where Ben Stiller, he's Derek Zoolander, and his, his partner, right, his sidekick is Owen Win- Wilson, like Hansel, and um, uh, they're against Will Ferrell, uh, and Will Ferrell is Mogatu, and he's this evil, evil kind of corporate fashion lord, and they infiltrate Mogatu's headquarters, right, because they need to get the files. Actually, uh, Zoolander doesn't go. He sends Hansel. He's like, hey, you got to go to the headquarters, infiltrate the files, get the files from his computer so we can prove that he is a criminal doing terrible, terrible things. Owen Wilson says, okay, I got this. He fights his way through the headquarters. He gets to the computer. And then when he gets there, he doesn't understand how to work the computer. He's like, I know Zoolander told me, get the files from the computer. And he looks at it and suddenly he turns into a Neanderthal that doesn't know how to work on computer. He's looking at it, he's touching it, poking it. Then he starts getting frustrated. He starts slapping it and hitting it and like picking it up. He's like, where are the files? How do I get the files out of the computer? And then he stops and it dawns on him. The files are in the computer. So he grabs it, just rips it off the wall and goes to the final fashion show. He shows up there and he just screams aloud. Everyone stops because this is like a momentous occasion. Mugatu is going to be proven of all of his crimes. He's Mugatu. I got you. Your files are here. And he chucks them from the balcony, and they go shattering on the ground. And he expected wholeheartedly for the files to (laughs) come out. But we all know that's not how it works. That's not how computers work. That's not how data works. Get the files out of the computer. He just didn't understand that. Now, this is a silly illustration, but I share it because Paul In the beginning of our passage, he gives a command. It's in the imperative. He says, walk by the Spirit. Walk, not a suggestion, not a question. He's not describing the work of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit in our lives. He commands Christians, walk by the Spirit. Unfortunately, that's a command that's often misunderstood by many of us. I mean, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit. I suppose if we kind of stopped right now and broke up into like small groups and just describe that, answer that. What does it mean? How do you obey this command to walk by the Spirit? We would probably get some really vague descriptions. You would probably bust out your best Christianese and say, you know, it means to trust in the Spirit. It means you got to be filled by the Spirit, which isn't a command. It means you got to be sensitive to the Spirit. you got to be able to listen to that still, small. But even then, if you kind of stop and think about, well, what does it really mean? How do I live that out? How do I walk by the spirits? Here's the thing, though. If we are unclear here, at the top of this passage, at the beginning of the fruit of the spirit, this first command, if we don't get this right, we will be entirely off for this whole series. We will be entirely derailed. I mean, if you're trying to get from point A to point B and your first turn is in the wrong direction, you're in trouble. You are absolutely in trouble. So what does it mean for us to walk in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit? I want to say it's not as subjective 
It's not as mystical as some Christians make it sound. It essentially means this, for you and I to follow the leadership, not subjective leading of the Spirit, but the leadership of the Spirit. That the Spirit would direct your life, that the Spirit would guide you, that you would conduct your life day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision, according to the Spirit. Now, that may still seem ambiguous, a little bit. Mike, I mean, that sounds cool, but it's still a little squishy, right? But we all know what it means to be led. We all know what it means to actually follow directions. If you've ever used Google Maps or Waze, you've trusted in a navigation app to tell you where to go, how to get there, turn right, turn left. And if you make a wrong turn, redirecting, right? It's not like, it's okay, you'll just eventually get there. No, no, your app will say redirecting, and you turn, make another wrong turn, redirecting. And you're like, I get it, I get it. I'm just trying to turn around. We all know what it's like to be led, to be directed by someone, or now even our smartphone, something. This is the essence of what Paul is commanding us. He's saying, follow the leadership the directions of the Spirit. Don't ignore him. Don't resist him. Go where he leads. And just to make it more clear for us, he says, again, in different words at the end of our passage, verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, if we are going to be people reborn by the Spirit, abiding in the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Steps, right? Steps, walking, journeying, following. Now let's get real tangible and real practical. The obvious question then is this, how do you follow the Spirit? And where is He? How do I listen to Him? How do I obey Him? How do you walk with Him? How do you know what God is telling you to do? And for many of us, this is where things get really squishy and ambiguous. Because we believe that the Spirit's leading is primarily through subjective unction. Subjective unction. And what do I mean by unction? In plain terms, it's the special and supernatural moving of God in your heart and in your mind. That's what unction is. Okay? Those rare moments in your life where you sense God is just pressing you, convicting you in your heart and in your mind. I mean, when people say things like, I don't know why, but I really sense that God is telling me to blank. Maybe you're on a college campus and you see someone, a complete stranger, but just God lays it on your heart. Go and tell that person about Jesus. I mean, you're an introvert, right? They're of a different grade, class, school, department, ethnicity, whatever. And you're like, I have no reason to talk to that person. But God just seems to be tugging at my heart to go and tell them about Jesus. Maybe you have no intention on going summer missions. You're like, dude, I don't want to give up vacation time, right? There's other things that I want to do, but suddenly there's a missions testimony, a missions message, and an invitation, and you just feel the moving of God for you to go. That's unction. We've all experienced it, and I hope you have, in your life. I believe in unction. It's powerful. It's meaningful. I've experienced it, but it is uncommon. That's the thing. It is uncommon. It's exceptional. It's not supposed to happen every day. I'm going to be completely honest and vulnerable with you guys. I can't remember off the top of my head the last time I experienced unction. Oh, Pastor Mike, so unspiritual. Don't judge me. I know y'all are judging me and God's laying that on my heart right now. 
But do you see the problem, though? If we think that following God is this kind of like supernatural, exceptional experience, then most of our days, most of our lives, most of our moments are absent of that. We're like, God, give me the unction. And if you don't, then I don't know. I'm just going to go live in the rest of my life and do what I do. If you believe that the Holy Spirit primarily leads you in that manner, through personal, subjective impressions, you will not be able to obey this command. Walk with the Spirit, by the Spirit, in every moment and every day, step by step. Walk with the Spirit. You're like, I don't, God's not doing that. He's not leading. He's not speaking. He's not burning a fire in my heart. Friends, God is a better leader than that. God is a better leader than that. He offers you more than that. This is why God gives us his word. This is why God gives us his word. His word is a light unto our paths. Paths, another metaphor for our walking. Another metaphor for our directing. The Holy Spirit, what he does is work in conjunction with the word of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to illuminate God's word upon our minds, upon our hearts, to remind us of his word. Have you guys ever had those moments in your life where suddenly just truths about God, maybe even Bible verses or maybe even just VBS songs, right? Little by little bit every day. And you're like, why am I singing that? But, but it just... The Spirit reminds us of God's word and his truth. The Spirit directs us to his word. He convicts us of his word. The Spirit works in conjunction with the word of God. Every time you, you resist, or every time you resist sin, okay, every time you are tempted and you have the opportunity to sin, whether it's gossip, lie, cheat, steal, Every time you resist that and you say no, you know what you're doing? You're walking in the Spirit. Every time you confess your sins, you're honest before God and you say, have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. Every time you do that, you know what you're doing? You're walking in the Spirit. When you love your neighbor, when you honor your spouse, when you pray for your children, when you tithe in faith, when you study and work with integrity for the glory of God, you are walking in the Spirit because you are obeying the Word of God. You're obeying the Word of God. So please, don't muddy the clear words of God. Walking in the Spirit, obeying the commands of God's Word, those things are in marriage with one another. And this is the journey of the Christian life for us to walk in the Spirit, to hear God's commands, to consider them, to see that they are good and true, and then trust in his word, and then follow and obey, even when it's difficult, even when it's costly, even when it's inconvenient, that we would follow and obey, because God is our God and we are his people. That is how we obey this command. We walk in the Spirit as we abide in God's Word, as we live out God's Word. In the next verses, Paul then introduces the fight. Okay, so that's the journey. You've got to walk in the Spirit. Next, we see the fight. In verse 17, Paul writes, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, and these two are opposed to each other. 
to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul is talking to Christians, right, with new desires and new hearts. And he's saying Christians want to obey God. We want to honor him and we want to glorify him. But the spirit, the desires of the spirit, they want to keep you from doing that. Paul is telling us that there are two great opponents within us. Okay, a lot of times we think God and the Holy Spirit is outside of us, external, and then our sinful desires are internal, and that's the conflict. No, for the Christian, we have this internal war, this internal fight within us. It's the flesh versus the spirit. Now, what does Paul mean by flesh? He's not just talking about our physical bodies. He's not just talking about our physical bodies. He's talking about our sinful, spiritual natures, our sinful hearts. Paul, when he says the flesh, the desires of the flesh are against God and the spirit, he's talking about our desire to rebel against God, our desire to want to live for ourselves, to follow after the patterns of this world. A poet once wrote, the things most forbidden we always desire and the things most denied we seek to acquire. Isn't that us? Someone says you can't have this and you're like, now I want it more. My son is like that. He's eight months old. I see these sinful desires even in him. Our house right now is full of baby toys. I had this clean West Elm mid-century modern look, right? And he ruined it all, right? Our house is full of pacifiers, teethers, baby play toys. I'm like, yeah, I know you're teething, so we're just going to give you all the teethers that you want. We got some in the freezer. We got some in every room, all of that stuff. But you know what he wants? He wants the things that I deny him. He wants my phone. Not because he understands. He takes me. uh. I'm like, you know how dirty my phone is? You cannot have it. He wants cables, random cables. He goes underneath dressers and couches, and he finds it. He finds it right in his mouth. I mean, you want to electrocute yourself? No. Random metal objects. He's like a bass, right? You know, metal shiny things. He just looks at it and puts it in his mouth. What does he do when I take these dangerous, inappropriate things away? He wants them more. He turns into this like chubby little monster. It's like, rah, rah. He's like relentless. You guys got to pray for my kid, right? You got to pray for me and pray for my, I'll pray for yours. The things most forbidden we always desire, the things most, desire, most denied we seek to acquire. But the amazing thing about God's work in our lives is that when we accept the gospel, the spirit makes oh, the spirit of god makes us alive in christ so it's true before you and i become christians what's in us is our sinful nature our sinful desires and god is outside all right god the holy spirit is outside but when we accept jesus christ the spirit comes into our lives our bodies our hearts We become new creations. This is what it means to be alive in Christ. This is what it means for us to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Our hearts of stone are transformed into hearts of flesh. We have the Spirit of God alive and working within us. Now, even though sin has been defeated in our lives through the cross, it hasn't been eradicated. It hasn't been eradicated. We're still in our old bodies of flesh. Sin still indwells us. We have new hearts in old bodies. That's who we are. 
Even the Apostle Paul, he felt this struggle. He lamented this struggle. Famously, in Romans 7, verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Have you ever just found yourself saying that? Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep going back to this sin, this addiction, this destructive relationship, these bad patterns? I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't, but I cannot help myself. Even the Apostle Paul experienced this war within his heart. He reflects on this even more in verse 21. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members, that's again his body, his flesh, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's Paul's journey. That's his experience. He wants to live for God. He has a renewed heart and a renewed mind, but he has the old body and the flesh and still waging war against the indwelling of sin. And he ultimately says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's waiting for Jesus to come back. He's waiting for glory. But up until then, the fight is on. The fight is on. The opposition between the flesh and the spirit, it's in each and every one of us. It was in Paul, it's in me, and it's in you. We struggle between desiring God and desiring sin. And what you need to see uh, is that the more you desire God, the more intense the fight will be. Just that, that's what Paul says, right? The more you desire God, the more you want to delight in him and live for him, the more intense the fight will be. And that's really counter, counterintuitive because we think, man, the more we just live for Jesus, the more time we spend in his word, the closer we are to him, then we're just going to be victorious, right? We, we should be good. We shouldn't be wrestling with these sins. But Paul says, that is not my experience. Verse 21, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. It's right there. The more convicted I am of the gospel, the more convicted I am to live a holy and a God-centered life, the closer evil is, me, is behind me, trying to weigh me down, trying to ensnare me once again. The more he delighted in God's word, the more sin embattled his heart and mind. If you ever remember your uh, World War II history, what made Switzerland famous? Right? It's not their chocolates. It's the fact that they remained entirely neutral throughout the war. They didn't fight the Germans. And they didn't fight the British. They just stayed out of it. U.S., the U.S., they tried to remain neutral as well, as best they could. But why did Japan attack Pearl Harbor? Why? They knew and Germany knew that America was about to enter the war, that America was going to join the Allied forces, that America was going to become their enemy, and so they attacked. They struck. As soon as America, as soon as we picked a side, the fight was on. And the point of this illustration is not to um, stay, tell you to stay neutral so that you don't have to fight, right? Uh, there's no Swiss option in our lives. But the point is this. As soon as you align yourself with Christ, 
the devil is going to come after you even harder. As soon as you align yourself with Christ, sin is going to wage war that much harder against you. Why? Because sin wants to rule over you. Sin wants you back. He wants to make you its slave. But don't you want to be in a fight you know you're going to win? Don't you want to be in a fight you know you're going to win? You see, all of us, all of humanity is in a fight. There's no neutral option. If you are not Christian, before you become a Christian, you know who you are fighting? You're fighting against God. You're rebelling from him. You're rejecting him. You're denying and resisting God himself, the author and creator of the universe. That is your enemy. You may think you're winning in this life by getting everything that you want, but you're really not. Jesus himself warns us you can gain the whole world and yet forfeit your very soul. That's the fight of the non-Christian. That's the fight of you and I apart from Christ. And once you become a Christian, that's not the end of your fight. You actually have a new one. You've changed sides. You've shifted over. And your fight now is not against the spirit of God. It's not against the throne of God. It's against the flesh. Your fight is against the devil. And it's against sin. But that's a fight you are sure to win. That is a fight you are sure to win. The Apostle John tells us, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you believe this? That as fierce as the struggle might be within you, as fierce as the fight might be within your heart, within your soul, when you're like, do I do this or do, do I do that? Do I have that? Do I surrender that? And, and there's, I, I'm not, I don't want to belittle the tension. I don't want to belittle the, the, the um, yeah, just the weight of the fight within us. But the promise that we have is when we're in Christ, we're more than conquerors. And when you fight on the side of God, when you fight by the sword of the Spirit, you are guaranteed victory. The sad thing is, there's some of you here today and you've quit fighting. You've quit fighting. There's no fight in your life. You've become a nominal Christian. You've given into sin. You've stopped trying to change. You've stopped trying to go, you're, grow. You're just coasting throughout your spiritual life. You'll, you'll come on Sundays, sing some songs, say some prayers, listen to a message. Go on with the rest of your life. You don't really want to change. You don't really want to grow. You don't truly want to become like Jesus because if that was real, then you would be fighting. You'd be waging war against your sin, but you have given in to sin. You tell yourself and you tell others, I am who I am. Sounds like Popeye, right? I am who I am. I mean, how tiring it is, is it? Um, even in marriage, when your spouse is constantly trying to change you, trying to change you, change your habits, and you're just tired of it. You're like, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I don't need this. I don't want this. You see, this, this caution is actually more dangerous as we get older. I've found, uh, I found that actually younger people are much more malleable. Younger people are much more teachable. Older people, as we get older, man, stubborn, 
set in our ways? Obstinate? Like, I mean, older brothers and sisters, if you think the, the millennials are know-it-alls, have you, like, heard yourself talk lately? <laughs> right? It's especially dangerous as we get older. We are who we are. And we find ways to justify it. You know, be like, yeah, yeah you know, I'm always going to be a little judgmental, a little critical. Or, yeah, I know, I kind of gossip a lot. And then, and then, but we come to church, and make, but I'm really good about this. I'm really good about giving. Or I'm really hospitable. Or, 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 or you know, I'll serve and, and do all that. So what we do is we, we find ways to justify who we are, how we like to live, how we like to do things, how we like to experience Christianity. We neglect the areas of our weakness, the areas of our sin, and we just focus on this is what I do, Right? I'm on finance team. I'm faithful with our numbers, and that's what I'm going to do, right? I'm on tech and media. I'm going to be really good about this. Gym renovation, no problem. But these other areas of my life, just do not touch. Do not just leave me alone. Leave these things alone because for me to try to change at age 30, 40, 50, 60, man, that's exhausting. Let me just focus on what I'm good at, what I prefer. You know what Martin Luther says? There's nothing worse than a Christian who continues in sin. Than a Christian who yields to sin. There's nothing worse than that. I mean, non-Christians, you can almost say they don't know any better. You understand, why would a non-Christian sin? Because you're in sin. But for a Christian to see their sins and say, I am not going to change. I know I am greedy. I know I am proud. I know I am lustful, but so what? So what? I'm still married. My kids still do what I say. You know, my job, it's fine. I know, but so what? There's nothing worse than a Christian who continues in sin. There's other here, others here who, you know, this idea of like the fight, it's just so foreign. There's, there's no fight at all in you. And it's not because you refuse to fight and you quit the fight. It's just, it's foreign. Right? There's no tension in here, Pastor Mike. I'm good. You know, peace like a river, right? <laughs> right? You know what the word is telling us today? That's impossible. It's impossible. To be a Christian walking in the spirit and not experience the fight, not experience opposition, that is impossible. Possible. The only way, the only reason you are not experiencing the fight, the opposition and the tension against sin and the flesh and Satan is if you are actually not walking in the spirit. You're not obeying God. And your version of Christianity is absolutely just tailor-made to the way you want to live your life. So it just fits so well. And you're like, I have no tension. I have no issues. But the reality is you're not delighting in God. You're not obeying him. You're not trying. You want to experience the fight? Just this week, try this. Commit to reading the Bible and praying. Like 30 minutes a day. See what happens. It's going to be really hard. (laughs) Really hard. Because your phone is going to beep and vibrate. Your kids are going to be screaming at you. Netflix and that new show that's coming out is going to be so tempting. Your friends are going to call and say, let's go hang out. Right? All of these distractions, all of these temptations, 
They're going to come at you when you actually say, I will go to God's word and pray. See what happens. It ain't going to be easy. It will not be easy. And you'll start to experience a little bit of the fight, a little bit of the tension, what your flesh wants to do in selfishness, as you listen to the idol of comfort, right, versus what the Spirit of God wants you to do and abiding in him, following him, knowing him and trusting him. Now, you may be listening to this message and asking yourself, man, where's Jesus? <laughs> where's, where's the God? This sounds like a lot of effort, Pastor Mike. I thought you were gospel-centered, right? This almost sounds like works right. you got to fight, right? It almost sounds like works righteousness, behavior modification. Mike, where's the grace? I don't want to say the grace is there. But before we get to the grace, I do want to say, yes, walking in the Spirit takes a lot of effort. Following after Jesus, being a disciple, takes a lot of effort. It takes intentionality and discipline. But it is not without grace. It is not all on you. It's not all by your strength, by your work, by your ability. Grace is abounding for us today. We see it in verse 18. Paul writes, if you, but, but, so there's the war, there's the opposition, flesh versus spirit, and we're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And he says, but, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. What is Paul talking about here? And this is where Paul is pointing Back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just two chapters earlier in Galatians. Galatians is this powerful argument about the um, righteousness of God. And how we are justified before him by faith alone and not by works. Paul makes so much of Jesus Christ and his perfect work in the book of Galatians. And in chapter 3 verses 13 to 14. This is what Paul writes. He says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The promised spirit through faith. For everyone without Jesus, the law is a curse to you. The law is a curse to you. Why? Because it it calls you out. It exposes your sin. It condemns us before the justice, holiness, and wrath of God. If you are a lawbreaker, the law is not for you. Okay, it is against you. And that is the curse of the law, the weight of the law. But for those who are in Christ, Paul says, we're not under the law. We're not under the law, meaning it's cursed. Not that we don't have to obey the Ten Commandments and all the Old Testament. That's not what Paul means. He's talking about the curse. We're not under the curse anymore. We're not condemned for being imperfect, for falling short. We're not condemned by our inability to keep the law perfectly. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled every jot and tittle of God's word and law. If you are in Christ, you are not burdened by the yoke of the law. What do I mean by that? 
You don't have to try and keep it perfectly to earn a right standing before God. Just because you messed up today or yesterday or you will mess up tomorrow doesn't mean you are eternally excommunicated and condemned. That burden, that yoke is lifted. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. He, he not only perfectly keeps the law in your place. You know what he does? When he dies on the cross, he drinks and bears the curse of the law in your place. You see, that's, that's what the law does, okay? Citizens, we should all keep the law, and if we fail to keep the law, we will be punished under the law. Jesus does both of those things for us on the cross as our substitute, as our advocate, as our savior. This is redemption. And when you and I place our faith in Jesus, our redeemer, We are promised. What does Paul say at the end of that Galatians 3 passage? So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We are filled then by the Holy Spirit. We are then privileged with the ability to be led by the Spirit. We can walk with the Spirit, be in step with the Spirit as children of God. This is the grace This is the grace. Those who live in the Spirit are not under the law. Those who live in the Spirit are not under the law because of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. We're out of time. I'm not going to address the whole list of sins right? Uh, uh, or the fruit of the Spirit in this message today. We're actually going to work through those, uh, through those lists in the rest of our series. Uh, And so you're not missing out. Um, But I want to close with this. The whole reason we are commanded to walk in the Spirit is because of the free gift of grace in Christ. We've been made the children of God because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been made alive by the Holy Spirit because of the free gift of grace in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You're a citizen no longer of this world, but of heaven. You're a child no longer of Satan, but of our Heavenly Father. You're no longer an enemy to God. Jesus calls us his friends. This is who you are in Christ. This is our identity. I want to ask you, though, when will you start living like a child? When will you start living like a citizen? When will you start living like a disciple? When will you start bearing the fruit of the Spirit that comes as you walk in him, as you trust in him, as you follow his leading in your life? If you're a Christian, shouldn't you start fighting? Don't you want to change? What are the sins in your life that you want to just gloss over? What are the sins in your life that bring you, that bring you shame, that make you uncomfortable, that you have not yet brought up to your community group, even though you've been sitting in that group for four, five, six years now? You haven't had the courage, maybe you haven't had the unction <laughs> to share those things. Don't you want to change? Don't you want to be like your father in heaven? 
Don't you want to experience what it means to have life in the spirit and stop like just letting that be this ambiguous, unknown, unexperienced phrase that we sing about, talk about, and hear about? Don't you want to experience that? When will you start living out your identity as a child of God and citizen in his kingdom? Because when you do, we're going to actually see the fruit is irresistible. Okay, you and I, we are commanded to walk in the spirit. But the spirit does something that you and I, we don't have control over. What the spirit does is he births in us change and transformation. He births in us the love, joy, peace, patience, and so on and so forth. That's not something that comes from us. It's not something that we manufacture. But as we walk in the spirit, as we obey that command, we will see the spirit working in our lives in our hearts, in our families, and in our church. Today, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know where you stand in your relationship to God, I want to ask, aren't you tired of fighting against God? Aren't you tired of resisting him, running from him, trying to live a good life on your own? I want to ask you, friends, what would your life be like? And instead of you trying to fight against God, you had a God who fought for you. What would that look like? Where you would stop fighting against God, but you would start to experience God fighting for you. A God who fights with you against your brokenness, with you against your sin, with you against your addictions and all of those dark problems and issues and pains in your life. What would it be like? For the Holy Spirit to be your helper and your comforter. If you want to experience that, the answer is Jesus. For you to trust in Jesus Christ as your rock, as your redeemer. Jesus who has loved you to the point of death. So much. Not that he was just a great example for you. No, he was the curse bearer for you. That's the weight of his love. Friends, if you hear his voice today, right now, let's not deny him. Let's not fight our Lord. Rather, let's surrender before him. Let's trust in him. Let's walk in the spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your invitation to us today that in your house there is rest and there is life. In your house, there is room for us as broken, as nominal, as hypocritical, as so many of us are. We thank you that today you're calling us back. You're inviting us in by your mercy, by your spirit your son. Forgive us, O Lord, for fighting against you for so long, for resisting you, for ignoring you, for neglecting you. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, lead us to surrender. And I just pray that you give us faith, faith to believe in you, 
faith, even if it's just the size of a mustard seed, would you give your children faith today just to see what a day, see what a decision would be like if we tried it your way and not ours. Help us to experience that. And as we do so, may we see that you alone, oh God, are good. That you are so good. Thank you in Jesus' name we pray.